Hello and welcome to Scopy Radio. My name is Daniel Johansson. And I'm Maureen Smith. And today we are joined by Denise Yvette Serna. Hello. How are you doing today? So good. We're so happy to have you back. I'm so glad to be back. Thank you. We uh we were talking about it because you've done you've been on the show a couple of times mm-hmm. and um we were talking about it and we were like God when the hell was the last time you were on we realized it was February mm-hmm. which is wild yeah so much has changed since February yeah what I, what I do love about well uh, last time you were here was for Homeset. Was it for Homeset? Yeah. The last time you were, like, in our apartment was for Homeset. Because I did feel like I'd seen you more recently than that. That was in May. Yeah. Cool. But the last time you were on the podcast, I think it was in February. Was in February. But also, you are very busy. I am very busy all the time. Yeah. 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 Producing, directing, living the dream. Have you been able to enjoy summer? to the beach or anything which I'd, I'd really like to do at some point but I did go to um, a beer festival that supported a bike shop in Humboldt Park and I drank a lot of beer um, and nice. I recently bought some rollerblades and I'm, nice. teaching, I'm teaching myself to rollerblade uh, so that's been a little bit of summer fun but my summer only really just started about a week ago because my work schedule changed yeah. Did you ever watch that movie as a kid, um, Blink? Brink. Brink. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a class. Do you, do you know that movie, Mo? No. What Team is Puppin said. It's a Disney Channel original I didn't movie. Have, I didn't have Disney yeah, Channel. Yeah, it was a Disney Channel original movie. And it was like the only only piece of media about rollerblading. Mm-hmm. But like rollerblading. Like mm-hmm. not, not roller derby, not like Just disco like roller. Getting from A to B. Like mm-hmm. blades. Like we're. So, yeah, he was a, a rollerblader. Roller rollerbladist. I'm not sure what it is, but he yeah. was sort of like you know, like with his friends, really good roller street skaters, right? Um, and they had their rollerblading team that would compete. But his family hit some hard times, and uh, he had the opportunity to be on like a corporate sponsored team. Yeah. Um, and he wanted to do that to support his family, so he was secretly skating with this big brand name team, and also skating with his friends. And then it comes to competition. And well, you've got to choose between what is right and what is easy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's and it's, <laughs> it's not. Really and I, got, I, don't, I, I guess I, I just don't understand the the conflict of interests there. He's competing against the people he loves. Oh. Yeah. He was on both teams, and they were like, oh. "What are you going to be a sellout?" Like, yeah. And are you we're not going to spoil guy? it. I'm not. We're not going to tell you what happens. Mm-hmm. You can probably find it somewhere on Absolutely. like YouTube or something. Like, I go swear watch to God, Brink. though. I swear to God, though, if he ended up skating with his friends, I'm going to be real upset. Because, like, how does his family eat? Watch, you gotta watch, watch it. the movie. It's What's his re- name? He was such a Brink, heartthrob. Brinkman no, or no, something like that. No, no, no. Is it, Brink, Brinkman. It was something ridiculous like that. Eric Von Detten? That's not him. He's like the dreamy. Mean, yeah, yeah. Like um, dreamy blonde 90s heartthrob. He was in um, Escape to Witch Mountain. He was in So Weird. He was Fee's brother's friend in So Weird. Uh. Oh my god! And, I, and for the listeners at home, I need to like emphasize kind of the aesthetic you should be expecting going in. This is not four wheels in a square. This is a blade of wheels, a, blade of in wheels. a blade of wheels, glory, glorious blade of wheels. Andy Brinker, Eric, yes. who was Eric Von Detten, Bam. But, but his nickname was Brink. Yeah, 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 um, <laughs> yeah. And I, so I was. Oh, really, I see. Do you want to hear? Do you want to hear Google 
Do you want to hear IMDb's yes. summation of it? Yes. Yeah. Andy Brink, Brinker, <laughs> Eric Von Detten, is the leader of a group of inline skaters who disapprove of corporate inline sponsorship. Inline skating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who disapprove of corporate sponsorship, believing that skating should be done for fun rather than profit. That's right. But when Brink's family starts having financial problems, he's forced to compromise his principles and join a sponsored team led by the arrogant Val. Val! Who is Sam Horrigan. Very attractive. Not knowing his motivation, Brink's friends are stunned by the decision and collectively shun him until the truth comes out. I, I gotta say too, and I promise we're gonna get into talking about. But the the thing <laughs> that I really important. kind of want to comment on is it's really interesting to me how the '90s was so cool with like the '90s was so like like we hadn't. I don't think we were able to fully grasp like what corporate America, like the the crimes and what what we kind of more now recognize as like potential problems with like major corporations in America mm-hmm. because like the idea that it was. Like, corporations are just so not fun, you yeah. know? <laughs> like, like, Was it not- 90s, early 2000s? 1998. Yeah. Dang. Actually, actually, we are coming up on its 10-year anniversary. Oh my gosh, Eric Von Detten, if you're listening, I'm uh- learning to rollerblade. I'm gonna make you proud. August 29th, 1998. Was oh my god. Day. Well, I so I really loved kind of like skater and like street culture when I was younger. I played Tony Hawk's whatever the game, but I was very uncoordinated. I wore glasses, and so I would I would want to um I, I tried skateboarding a couple times, and I was really bad at it. But I could do inline skating, and so I loved that movie because I was like, oh man, yeah, this is my culture. And then I would skate around. I didn't have a lot of friends, so I would just kind of like skate by myself around my neighborhood. And I loved rollerblading places. I did too. I rollerbladed a lot when I was a kid. Not places, yeah. just like in my right. so the, around the, my house. So the, so the <laughs> problem with rollerblading places is that a lot of like... Streets are uneven? A I'm lot learning of, this. A lot of streets are uneven, but also a lot of businesses get really mad if you go in wearing rollerblades. Yeah. Yeah, and I like do I would try too. to like get lunch with my friends, and I would rollerblade there, and they'd be like, "Get the fuck out of here!" Yeah, mm-hmm. well, do you want me in sh- my foam booties instead? I was gonna say, yeah, they have the shoes in there. <laughs> I, I do remember the that. Booties. I do remember wishing that those shoes were more like shoes. I was the like, the ones These that I have be- don't have the booties. It's all one piece. Cool. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm hoping to get good enough to commute by skate. That's my that's my ambition because you could travel with them, and I travel a lot. And I want to be able to skate when I get places. Well, speaking of travel. (gasps) What a segue. Yeah. Really, I'm very proud of that. Yeah. Uh, So speaking of travel, you've been super busy with Mm -hmm. one project in particular. Mm -hmm. Would you mind talking about Global Hive? Yeah. Global Hive Laboratories is an organization that I started with a friend of mine who I went to graduate school with. It happened sort of accidentally as the best things do I think I had some time off from work last summer and so I was going to go to London to spend time with my partner and because what is vacation if you're not working so (laughs) I messaged my friend Jack and I was like Jack I'm gonna be in London can are you doing anything can I help if you're not doing anything, can we workshop something? Like, let's, let's do a thing. I'm going to be there. And he 
was like, sure, let's make some art together. And we wound up deciding that we wanted to participate in Climate Change Theater Action, which is a biannual event that coincides with the United Nations Conference of the Parties, which is the like big climate change meetings that mm-hmm. the United Nations does every couple of years. And Climate Change Theater Action brings together an anthology of like 50 scripts that are written by playwrights from around the world. And for a window of about six weeks, maybe eight weeks, people all over the world are performing these 50 scripts. And so the idea is that everyone is engaging in a conversation about climate change from a global perspective at the same time while the United Nations is talking about climate change. That's really cool. Um, Yeah, it's a very cool initiative. It'll come up again uh, in another year. So look out for it because I'll probably be doing it. And so he... He sent me this thing, and the window of time to perform was in October. And I was like, this sounds super great. I really want to do it, but I'm going to be in London in August, and that doesn't really help this project. So I was like, what if we take this and then add what we like to do? And what we like to do is make strange new things and to devise and to innovate how we, how we create theater together, innovate what collaboration means. And so we decided that we would run a workshop for a week in which we invited people from all over the world to devise work with us about climate change from their different perspectives, from the different places that they lived. And we wanted to see what it meant to make a global rehearsal room. So if we eliminate the difficulty that comes from booking flights and being in a place that takes a day and a half to get to, and we could still have a shared rehearsal room, how much greater could our work be? And so we decided that we would use this time to experiment with technology-based collaboration. So using things that were easily accessible to a lot of people, such as Google Drive, Dropbox, Skype, Google Hangouts, things like that, that are free to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. How can we use these things to bring people into a rehearsal room together? And so over the course of that week, we had a collective of people representing um, United States, Canada, Italy, China, the Czech Republic, and Spain. Wow. And we were devising. And we we were using these scripts as well. but trying to see what we could do with technology to to test these theories. And so sometimes it was like, okay, what does it mean if your director is in a different country? Well, we'll have you in this performance space, we'll have you in this performance space, and you're gonna direct the scene over Google Hangouts. Or what if our two actors are in different countries? So you're in one place reading your lines into Google Hangouts, you're in one place reading your lines into Google Hangouts, and in the third space is the director with two TV screens that are being puppeteered, right? So what does it mean for us to bring all that together and for us to create a piece together? Or the if the script is in a language that the actor doesn't know, but the director does. So what does it mean for the director be it to be in a different place and feeding the lines into the actor's ear and telling them what to perform. So we we did this one. We had this poem that was in Mandarin. And the director would say, okay, for this next line, you're going to feel sort of frustrated and like things aren't going well. And over the course of the line, you're going to walk over to the window and you're going to sit down. And then she would 
say the line in in the language and then the actor would repeat it and do the action and so just trying to figure out ways to break things down and really make it that people could work together so that was the start of it and it turned out that it was really fun and it turned out that it was a really interesting way to collaborate and that it could per- perhaps make it easier for us to continue to collaborate with our colleagues all over the world. That was the inception of the organization. That those workshops, then f- I brought all of that work back to Chicago and brought Chicago artists into the mix, directors, actors, performance artists, uh, took submissions of short films from other international colleagues and had a three-day festival, a climate change theater action festival during that window in October. Uh, where people could come and engage with the conversation from a multimedia, multidisciplinary perspective. So if you're the sort of person who wants to watch a play, we've got that for you. Mm-hmm. If you're the sort of person who wants to watch a short film, we've got that for you. If you want neither of those things and you want to go see some performance art, great. If you don't want to talk to anybody and you want to sit quietly and read something or look at art, we have that for you. Um, and this is something that I've talked about before, especially like talking about home set. It's really important to me that the dialogue has multiple access points because people are not going to people might might feel the same way about a thing but they might not want the same entrance so how can i have as many entrances to the conversation as possible so that we can all talk about it so that's sort of what global hive is about okay so how can we collaborate through technology how can we collaborate internationally and how can we use these diverse perspectives to promote radical empathy and hopefully make the world a better place this is fascinating Mm. so entirely fascinating and the first thing i kind of want to first off very relatable and like as far as like i not relatable but um in that sorry, it's a I also com- have a cat it's a it's a mind. common problem like mm-hmm. the fact that people like of course we have amazing local talent in chicago but sometimes like you know there's that there's that director in pittsburgh mm-hmm. or there's that mm-hmm. director in london mm-hmm. who you just got to have but mm-hmm. you just don't have the budget and they're down but neither of you have the budget to fly them there so the idea of figuring out what did you call it? A global rehearsal space mm-hmm. is absolutely fascinating. Mm-hmm. Well, so I know the basically the first thing I want to uh, kind of ask about um, is uh, so what is there a balance for you between um, the process and the finished product? Like how do how does that kind of work itself out? Like do you do you find yourself prioritizing one or the other over the other? Like I'm so much more interested in the experimentation. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. And figuring out the different things that each of us has access to Mm -hmm. and how through collaboration those resources can be spread out. So I'm much more interested in that. I'm much more interested in working with, you know, if I'm in your city, then I'm with actors from your city who are going to have a specific work ethic, who are going to have a specific aesthetic, who are going to have a specific set of values that they want to want to live by as they are working. And so I'm more interested in that, and I'm more interested in that affecting the whole thing. And then taking whatever that was into the next city 
mm-hmm. and letting it inform what we do with this new group of people who have all of those things for this, for themselves. Yeah, I mean, well, and it's fascinating because hearing you talk about it, clearly both of these things matter to you. Like, mm-hmm. very much, like, making sure that the audiences that come can access, you know, because the thing that I that I immediately latched onto is very relatable is the, the way you worded it first off is fantastic, which is making sure your audience has multiple access points. Mm-hmm. Um, the Like, that's, like, so entirely what, like, good multimedia work is about, and I think mm-hmm. that's so powerful. Um, so there's well, that. Well, and what good art is about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is, is being able to be related to two, or, mm-hmm. or you know... Um, it's my chair. Maybe not related, but... Uh, Sorry, yeah. everybody. That's okay. I'm sitting in a broken chair and I'm trying to be comfortable in it. Yeah, no, that's that used to be the chair that I used to use a lot, and I totally entirely know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, but also. Oh my god. It's so interesting because the Oscars needs attention, I guess. Um, it's so interesting because the um the world that we live in right now, it the way the work that you're talking about the process the experimentation that you're talking about like the moment that we're in in the world is so intensely calling for that you know Mm -hmm. like i think more and more you know people are starting to realize that the global uh platform like the global um communicate like global communication is never going to go down in value Mm -hmm. and so you know for art making like in so many ways we're constantly craving more perspectives and more experiences to try to understand or to yes. hear about and learn about um so that to me this feels very like of the moment is that uh is that intentional the the like of the momentness of it or is it just the work that you find yourself wanting to do it's the work that i find myself wanting to do and i you know the same way people who went to DePaul or Northwestern start companies with their friends who they went to North Paul, North Paul, they mm-hmm. went to North Paul together to DePaul or Northwestern with. Um, I went to grad school with a bunch of international people. Yeah. And then we all went back to our countries. And those are the people that I'm excited about making work with. And I can't really do that unless we're in the same place. And so this was, this was a, an attempt to break down those barriers a little bit. And it's also, funnily enough, we sort of came into it thinking about how can we look at all these limitations? Let's figure out these limitations. And we found so many exciting collaborative things that I never imagined. Like, for example, when we are applying for funding, I'm not just asking United States funding bodies for money. Now we've got the UK you know, Arts Council, we've got, you know, we're asking the Italian government for money, we're asking the French government for money. And so instead of I need to raise a whole bunch of money by myself from very few resources in the United States, I only need to raise a chunk of it because we're going to get a little bit from France, we're going to get a little bit from Italy, we're going to get a little bit from London. And then that collaborative effort will help us to fund the work. I want to, I want to talk a little bit more too about the like practical and logistical side of all of this. Mm -hmm. Um, so what have been some difficulties with like scheduling and and working in this kind of space and and I mean time know. zones just I'm so fascinated how you navigate that. Yeah. I mean that may be that may sound like baseline but it's definitely a factor. Um it takes a very 
skillful scheduling um, and people being accountable. And I think for, for every five people that are excited to do cool things, oh my gosh, international work, how exciting. I want yeah. to be a part of it. For every five people that are interested, there's one person who's actually accountable. And so it's sort of putting the call out and then finding the people who are really interested in making mm-hmm. it happen and then scheduling around those people. Um, and I, I live by shared drives. So every single time we meet, I'm taking notes. It's in Google Drive, keeping uh, grant tracker spreadsheets, keeping research folders. Everything is in there. Every time someone edits, they're editing in a different color so we know when someone does it. Um, and yeah, and so we, we schedule our meetings based on critical mass. Um, I go from my time zone first, since I'm the one organizing it. And then it's like, great, how many people are free at this hour? Great. And then we schedule it and then we, we Google Hangout because Google Hangout can have 10 people in it at once. Yeah, that's fascinating. We have a, a, a lot of people that, because, you know, um, someone just turned me on to WhatsApp recently. Yeah, for a very WhatsApp similar reason. Great. Because, like, it's it's a much better platform for kind of international. Mm-hmm. Um, that's It's very fascinating. It's the thing mm-hmm. that... We use WhatsApp a lot, too, because if you, like, when we're actually in the workshop space as opposed to the prep space where everyone is in their home turf, right. once we're in the workshop space, only the people who live there ha- are able to use their phones. Mm-hmm. Unless you get a SIM card and you're working off a SIM card, um, you're only really able to live when you're on Wi-Fi using your phone. And so WhatsApp becomes really important in those situations because everybody can use it whether or not they have access to phone. Like mm-hmm. they might have access to Wi-Fi but not to phone. Um, so WhatsApp's really important when international people are in a space together doing workshops and needing to, hey, we're going to be at the space at 10 a.m. Make sure you're there. Right. Can't and do whatever I got to imagine, too, there's a lot of... Um, because, you know the the energy that people bring at different times of their personal days is probably is that a thing that comes up um yeah like <laughs> definitely yeah. sometimes it's um i'm at work and i've i've snuck away right. to talk and i've just gotten up and i'm having a coffee right and, yeah uh, that's so know? interesting yeah. yeah um it's cool though it's kind of fun yeah. it's kind of fun that everybody's sort of in in different parts of their day and it also, I don't know, I think it sets a bit of importance to it that, like, it does take a lot to coordinate us all to be here together. Mm-hmm. So for the hour that we're talking, we're going to get as much done as possible. I also imagine, too, there's a an added layer of forgiveness to it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Where, like, you kind of have to, you there there's a reason to kind of meet people where they're at. Mm-hmm. Which is really powerful and yeah. interesting. Yeah, and we've been having meetings recently for our upcoming project that we're working on. And it's been, you know, the first meeting was just two of us. And then the next meeting was three of us. And the next meeting was five of us. Um, and it's just whoever's available when we're doing it, we're going to talk. And if you weren't available, you can be sure that Denise took very detailed color-coded notes that you will be able to access as mm-hmm. soon as we are done talking. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm so, you know, I I'm curious how like you mentioned the the like rehearsal, like the planning stages, the workshop stages, people like 
you you've done this once in Chicago, right? Mm-hmm. Like where it was planned in London mm-hmm. in August, but then the actual performance was in. Mm-hmm. People came from abroad to Chicago for that performance. Um, only one person came from abroad to Chicago. Everything else was um, stuff that we did during the workshops that were layered into the Chicago performances. So some of it was. For example, I directed a script from the anthology that I was really interested in exploring through movement. So during the workshops in Chicago, I had two actors read the script and did an audio recording of the script. Oh. I brought that audio recording back to Chicago and had a cellist, a clarinet player, and two dancers. And we devised the music and we devised the performance and all of that was set to the to the vocal recording of the actors in London. And so they were present, they performed technically. Yeah. Um but they weren't here. Um so that there was a couple there was a couple of things like that that brought them here and then short films that had been created for that first workshop and after that first workshop were screened in the space as well. Can we, so have we talked, we haven't talked yet about the upcoming project though, right? Mm -hmm. Can we touch on that? Yeah. Yeah. I'm so excited about it, you guys. Um, My friends. Uh, It is, okay, it is a multi-sensory exploration of the myth of Medusa. Cool. And yes, and Again, the focal point of it is what does it mean for there to be multiple, potentially unlimited access points to a narrative? And specifically, what does it mean to create devised theater with access for people with disabilities in mind? A lot of times, theater projects are created and then accommodations for people with disabilities are an afterthought. Mm. The show has been up for two weeks and now we're having our access performance and we're adding these screens or whatever, you know? Um, Or uh, the ASL interpreters are just sort of in front of the stage and lit and not actually a part of the experience that's been in rehearsal for a month and a half. And so what does it mean to devise theater, to build it from the ground up and to build it thinking about those things and considering them as part of the aesthetic and part Mm -hmm. of the emotional experience of the performance. And so when thinking about that, we said, okay, well, what does it mean to not have accommodations at all, but instead have opportunities to experience the narrative from from X amount of ways, and then you just choose the one that works best for you or choose the five that work work best for you. And so we noodled around with that idea for a while and we decided that we would, especially because Medusa specifically, her story is one of a woman who was a victim of sexual violence and was punished for what happened and then was given this curse of, of, of being hideous and her sight, like the, the sight of her would turn you to stone and then her head's cut off and it's used as a weapon. And so there's all these things about, about 
seeing and what it is to be seen and what what it means to choose not to see and so we're like okay so so let's let's bring these ideas together and so what would it be if you came to to experience the narrative of medusa and you were blindfolded and you had earplugs in and all it was was smells could you could you could you learn the whole story through smells or if you or if it was through taste and a chef had made a dinner menu and from cocktails to appetizers all the way through dessert you went on the journey of this story um, because then not only is that great for if I am blind or low vision I can you know I, I might be able to eat you know and experience mm-hmm. the narrative and it has nothing to do with I'm missing out on something because because I have I have this this limitation instead it's I'm experiencing this thing exactly as it is and so that's 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 a part of it and then also an opportunity to have a bunch of different kinds of artists interpreting the piece so chefs hairstylists drag queens musicians um anything really and so what we hope to do is in each of the cities so we will be in london and paris and piacenza which is a town uh near milan we will meet up with artists there and run workshops and do devising workshops and excuse me um over the course of the week develop five versions of the myth and then take those five versions to the next city build on them but also make five more and sort of go city to city and then by the end of it come back to chicago do it again and then be able to produce sort of a medusa fun house that has 20 versions of the story and you can opt in to whichever one makes the most sense for you whichever one is the experience that you would like the most this is fascinating. So I, the thing that I want to ask you about is um, because I think uh, a lot of people recognize the importance of multimedia and, and recognize the importance of, of building in, in maybe, you know, maybe not making 20 experiences. Right. But like recognizing that, like, actually, I don't think a lot of people do this. But what I mean to say is that it is once that door is kind of open for you it's a like a it makes sense is my point Mm -hmm. um and so what i basically am curious for you is from your perspective as kind of like producer and ultimately translator like you have you are the person and you and and whoever is kind of part of the team in that way are um telling that story to each of the artists do you know what i mean like i'm Mm -hmm. curious about that that link Mm -hmm. of how it goes from the first narrative to the the each kind of iteration you know Mm -hmm. like what what is your preparation for that space like that's something that we've been working on quite a bit actually because all of the versions that we've found are about perseus Right? They're not mm-hmm. about Medusa. Medusa is the beast to be slain. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we're currently doing is gathering as much um, 
as mu- as many narratives as we can from all of the different countries. And the great thing about working with mythology is that it's been around long enough that there's several versions of it and often international versions mm-hmm. of it. So um, we're working on, on sort of gathering those sor- source materials, gathering poetry about Medusa, making Spotify playlists with songs about Medusa, a Pinterest board with different visual artists who have interpreted Medusa. And we're bringing all of that together. And our hope is to craft a narrative that is from her perspective and focuses specifically on what it means to focuses on a few things. So one, this position that Athena is in. Athena is a woman in a position of power in a patriarchal system. She's confronted with this moment where another woman has been raped and she has to punish her because she's participating in this patriarchal system. So if we were looking at that from a contemporary context, what does it mean for a woman who has a a place of, of positional power, of social collateral, and and has to has to punish this victim of sexual violence in order to maintain that power. And if we look at it and examine it through this subversive lens, the punishment that she gave Medusa was actually sort of a gift because she ensured that what happened to her would never happen again. No one would ever get close enough to her to do that again. And so what does it mean to look at that relationship? from a contemporary feminist perspective. And then what what is the experience of Medusa from the moment of transformation to being in exile and learning to adapt to a world that is not built for her and adapting to a body that does not respond to her in the way that it used to and does not fit into what people have expected of her physically and and aesthetically and does not um does not anymore serve the purpose that she was doing which was to be a worshiper of athena forever what led you to the athena narrative um gosh why did we start talking about medusa i don't even remember i think it might have been a tumblr post that I read one night yeah. late that was like talking that Tum- thanks Tumblr. I feel like I was probably reading a Tumblr post that was about Medusa and it sort of stuck with me. And we had been talking about doing something that was feminist something because the original core of collaborators was women. A woman from London, a woman from Paris, a woman from Piacenza, and then me and another woman from Chicago. And so we were like we want to we want to look at something that allows all of us to speak to um, our experiences as women and to interact with a text from from our perspectives as women. And so we were looking at a lot of different things and looking at the news and seeing what sorts of things were, were inspiring us. But this one thing of Medusa sort of clicked for me. And when I brought it up to the other gals, they were really excited about it. And so it sort of snowballed. Yeah. Um, the 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 looking at it from that subverse that subversive perspective is actually re- really resonating with me just kind of like from a dysmorphic mm-hmm. angle like the idea cuz i mean i think that that's something that a lot of people can resonate with you know not not just you know women or folks who identify as women it's it's a 
you know, it's a, you know, as, as time goes on and as certain things and events and factors impact your body and how it reacts to things, how it looks to you, how it, how it changes, like having to adjust to that Mm -hmm. and like sometimes feeling monstrous yeah you know sometimes it's that is that is a that is a story that is a sensation that is an experience that a lot of people can latch on to and I think that taking kind of humanizing this story of monstrosity Mm -hmm. and bringing it down to like no like we've all felt like Medusa like Mm -hmm. we've all been you know, we've all, like, our humanity has, you know, at some point, our humanity, you know, especially in this age of, you know, open discussion of sexual violence, it's like, a lot of people have had their humanity taken from them, and, like, that choice taken away from them, Mm -hmm. and they feel different in their body, and maybe Athena didn't make it that way, but, like, society Mm -hmm. sure did, Mm -hmm. and so, I don't know, it's just, it's, I'm, I'm, it's, it resonates very deeply with me. I think mm-hmm. it's really interesting. Yeah, and and what's more is that we're we're really hoping to explore yes, the idea of capital A access, which is which is creating theater that is accessible to people with disabilities, devising with that in mind, devising with captions in mind, and we will be doing like a skill sharing so um Anna Donnell, who is my uh Chicago partner here, um, she is an access designer for Chimera Ensemble. And so she will be teaching the artists that we work with how to do open captioning so that when they when they continue to do work, they have that option. Um, and then we will be translating the piece and being able to caption it in multiple languages. So we're talking about that capital A access, but also the lowercase a access, this idea of what does it mean for someone who has experienced sexual violence to interact with a piece and to to interact with it in a way that they feel safe because they can opt into the versions of it that are easiest for them or that are that are most um, most important to them in that moment. Or people who don't speak English um, who still wanna who still wanna go and see a play and there isn't a translator, well that's fine. You don't need one because we're dancing about it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. No, that's absolutely fascinating. So I know that you know, we've we've talked a little bit about like, you know, the the financial burden of you know like a little bit here, a little bit there, blah blah blah. Was that on air or off air? That was off air. Oh, that was all right. Well, here we are. <laughs> um, but, but I I want to talk to you a little bit about kind of the unique way that you're um, starting to start the engine of mm-hmm. funding this project. Mm-hmm. There's a few tiers of it. First of all, we're applying for grant funding from each of our each of our uh, nation's funding bodies, whether that's government funding or corporate foundation funding. We are not a nonprofit, so that sort of limits the the types of things that we're able to apply for. We know that life. But there, yeah, <laughs> but there are still definitely things uh, to apply for and things that are project based things that uh, are meant to edify the voices of women, edify uh, sort of innovation in the field. And so we're working on that. Um, And then also we will do in 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 the days leading up to the actual travel time, which will be in 
January and February of 2019, we will do sort of the typical, hey, we're raising money, watch our video, um, donate thing that we've all come to know and love. But we're also hoping that people will come and chat about the project with us and help us in a tangible Mm -hmm. way that actually gives them a thing. So we've got two things happening in the coming week. One, a book sale, a very large book sale. I am selling all of the scripts and textbooks and uh, books on theory, um, theater-based things, as well as, you know, novels and things like that as well but (laughs) but mostly like it's a lot of theater books i'm selling everything that i've collected over the last two decades of being a theater artist and uh you know hundreds of scripts um from from my work here my work in texas my work in london my work in moscow and bali like hundreds of hundreds of scripts um and we're making dinner dinner's free even if people don't want to buy books me and Anna were making a bunch of chili and a bunch of cornbread because I'm from Texas and she's from Mississippi and we're going to make you some chili. <laughs> and um, we want people to just talk to us about it and hear what they're thinking and tell them why we're excited about this work. Get them excited about this work. And it's a Monday night, so it's industry night. So folks who, who do the, the sort of people who are often looking for new plays on the cheap will maybe have the night off because it's Monday and they can come and chat with us about it and support our work in that way and take something home that is useful to them and that supports their practice. Mm-hmm. Whether it's the the script that you're gonna get your next audition monologue from or the novel that you're gonna read on your commute to Hyde Park. Yeah, <laughs> I, I find this, the way you're thinking about this, super fascinating because, you know, obviously the, the make a video and link to pick your, pick your fundraising site mm-hmm. model is one that works mm-hmm. um, and is one that we see a lot of. But I, that's just it, right? We see a lot of it. Mm-hmm. And I, I, the, um, the other kind of piece that I, because I find myself thinking about this a lot too, is um, thinking about ways, especially in a world that we live in where the economy is so terrible and budgets are strapped. And, you know, there are people, of course, that have budgets that they could swing it and they do. Um, but the, but, you know, also there are people that, you know, that level of like where they're getting a book or they're getting food. Like mm-hmm. these are things that are more, cause it's not like art isn't a need. Right. But like, mm-hmm. you know, it's you, an, it's a need that we often deprioritize one it's taking the lens that we've talked about so much throughout this of multiple access points and multimedia and applying it to fundraising which i find fascinating um is that is that connection something that do you you think you just approach the things that you do with that lens of like trying to make sure that people have different ways to buy in and or and and i mean literally and figuratively buy in but like um or or is that kind of inherent to the project i think it's it's more of a a denise style thing but um i mean i hope that other people would think about it that way too but it's sort of just the way that i think about bringing community together Mm -hmm. i think it's really easy to shout into the void and ask for money and sort of cross your fingers and hope it happens and the deadline is coming and then everybody's emailing their aunts to see if maybe their right. aunt would donate because none of their friends did. And I, I'm, just more, I'm just more interested in building community because I think that if people have 
an emotional and intellectual connection to the thing that you're trying to achieve, they're more likely to support it. It's not just a random, the the 100th play that they've seen an ad for this week. It's, oh wow, these are a bunch of people who are really excited about uplifting the stories of women, about uplifting the stories of people who are different, and they're working really hard to do it. And and I wanna be a part of that. And also the, the chance to chat about why we're so excited about it. And if you're gonna sit with me and eat dinner and we're gonna talk shop, you're gonna see how excited I am about it. And then maybe you'll get excited about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, and I like the idea of, you know, and not that this would be like completely inappropriate or anything, but I also kind of like the fact that you're keeping dinner and a direct money ask separate. Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah, come buy a book. You know, mm-hmm. come buy a book that you need. Come buy a book that you've been looking for. Come mm-hmm. buy a book that you want. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just have dinner, and I'll talk to you about it, and then mm-hmm. you can go home. Mm-hmm. And, like, mm-hmm. you'll have gotten something, I'll have gotten something, and then down the road in five or six months when I'm asking again, think back to how much fun we had, mm-hmm. and donate or don't, but at least think about it. Like, mm-hmm. I think that that's... I think that that's a very, like... Because I... Because I fundraising is necessary Mm -hmm. it is absolutely necessary but for the people doing it it can feel a little icky Mm -hmm. and so i think that the way you're going about it is is healthy for you and ultimately seems to me like it'll it'll probably go pretty well i'm hoping so (laughs) um i am getting ready to basically sell everything i own so Monday's a book sale, selling as many of my books as possible, keeping my, all of my Harry Potter stuff, because sure. of course. I was literally going to ask you yeah. that, because I've been to your apartment, <laughs> and there's a bunch of Harry Potter stuff, and I was yeah. like, is she no. getting rid of her Harry Potter no. stuff? Harry Potter, uh, he, till the very end, am I right? But um, <laughs> After all this time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so all my Harry Potter stuff, um, I collect copies of The Little Prince from all the places that I've been. So, like, oh, there's stuff that I'm keeping. But, like, aside from that and, like, a handful of outfits that could fit, you know, in a travel-sized uh, travel sized Denise, um, I'm selling everything. All of my books on the Saturday after the book sale, whatever books are left, are going into a yard sale and selling clothes, shoes, records, my record player, furniture, um, loads of stuff. We've gotten donations from the community as well of people who are, we we're taking a truck out on Saturday and are just like anybody who's been meaning to get rid of things and donate them, but who's got the time to go to donate things? We're going to come by in a truck and we're going to pick it all up and we're going to sell it. We're going to nice. raise money. Um, so we're doing a big pickup. We, my friend's mother is lending me her truck um, and we're going to drive around the city and pick up donations. We're going to have a big yard sale and we're going to sell as much as we can. And then whatever's left over, we will drive it and donate it um, to a to, to brown elephant or something like that. Something that's doing good for the community. Um, and yeah, and our hope is that between the book sale and the yard sale that we can book the first leg of the travel, mm-hmm. which would be for the three American artists to get to Europe. Once that is done, then then the other types of fundraising will do the rest. But our goal is to get the 
the transatlantic sitch figured out. Yeah, the transatlantic, it's the hardest. Mm-hmm. That's why Death Cab for Cutie wrote the song about it, you know? Oh my gosh. Okay, real talk though. Um, <laughs> the love of my life lives in London. We met when I was in grad school. We've been together for several years, and I have a, a playlist that I play every time I like fly out of London after mm. having visited her mm. and that's the first song on this playlist. Mm. The playlist is called Transatlanticism and I rise up from Heathrow or Gatwick <laughs> and just like cry out the window to my Death Cab song. So oh my God. thanks Death Cab. <laughs> it means a lot. That's too album. much for me. <laughs> it's very sweet but it's also just like oh God. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god, but I feel so I feel so alive when I'm like in a public mode of transportation weeping mm-hmm. in my headphones. <laughs> do you do do you do London to New York to Chicago or do you do it is there a New York or a London to Chicago? Um it depends. I yeah. I've done all sorts of versions of it. It depends on what my life is like and how I'm booking. A lot of times I piece things together. Yeah. Um because I have I never traveled when I was young. Mm-hmm. Um because that wasn't a, a financial possibility Mm -hmm. and so when i became an adult it became a priority for me so i've learned uh how to how to travel strategically it's actually like a really fun thing for me and like if people are ever like i'm going overseas and i've never done it before you help me book my flights i'm like yes because i love to find the thing that makes it like $300 cheaper than if I had just booked it. And so like I will research every single site and look at all of the different switch sort of- your whole days around just to yeah. find the yeah. Well, and also just like what does it mean to like okay, I'm going to take a bus here and then I'm going to book a flight here and then I'm going to switch airports and book a flight there and then I'm going to have a layover here for a day because it makes the next flight $200 cheaper. Mm-hmm. And I love that is a puzzle. I love figuring it out cuz you feel so excited cuz I uh, I went to see my girlfriend. We met up in uh, Norway in Oslo for Valentine's Day last year or the oh, year before. Oh my god! And it was like, it was like two hundred bucks, and it was like, okay, cool, great, figured it out, you know. And it was like, I, I, I you got I, to Norway for two hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. How? That's some sad shit. Tell me right now. Strategery. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. It was. Cause it, I want to go to Norway. We had a we had a foreign exchange student from Norway, and yeah. I haven't seen her in eleven years. Yeah. And yeah. I like she lives in Norway, and she seems cool as hell. And I want to yeah. hang out with her. It's it's about booking one way flights and booking it in pieces. And so I booked a one way flight to New York City, uh, slept on my friend's couch, and then flew out the next day to Oslo, and then hung out in Oslo, and then did it in reverse. And it cost you $200 total? Yeah. I mean... We sh- we'll talk more about this. We yeah. Should, we should definitely wrap up, because <laughs> we're, we're getting to, th- to that point. Um, so the last <laughs> thing we do with all of our guests is a one-minute plug for anything they have upcoming, like uh, letting people know about upcoming events mm-hmm. for fundraising, a major project, and mm-hmm. where they can find out about that project on social media and the internet. Um, but we also love hearing shout-outs to other folks that are doing dope work, um, or any media that you're consuming, self-care or otherwise, music, movies, TV shows, things like that. Hmm. Um, I've been dancing to Chromio's new album all summer. It's so good. I shake my butt to it most days of the week. They are coming to Chicago. I'm going to go see them. I'm very excited about it in September. Um, I have been watching this uh, show on Netflix. Vox has a new documentary series called Explained. Mm. And it's like 20-minute documentaries 
about whatever. And so I've been learning a lot as I uh, make my coffees or like cook my food or whatever. So that's really exciting. Um, yeah, those things are giving me life. And I uh, recently had a slumber party with a friend, like a full on real slumber party. And I hadn't done that in a while, in years. And it was really nice to sort of step away from my life and from my city and just be with a, with a girlfriend. And we painted our nails yeah. and, you know, conjured the moon. Like, it was, it was fantastic. I loved it. Um, so, yeah, that was giving me life. Cool. Sounds so good. Yeah. Um, plugs. So, on Monday evening, we are having a book sale and dinner come for dinner even if you don't want to buy any books um but if you are looking for scripts for theater textbooks for books on philosophy or religion novels nonfiction, all of it we have literally hundreds of books to sell um so come on over have dinner maybe buy books chat with us tell us about your perceptions of medusa and what what you know about her and we'll have a good time. And then on Saturday, the 25th, we will have a yard sale. And we will sell furniture and clothes um, for all sizes and gender expressions. Because Anna uh, is definitely someone who is like on the tall and skinny side. And I am on the short and fat side. So there will be a wide variety of uh, clothing items for folks so please come especially if you're like me who doesn't like to go to yard sales because there's never things in my size uh, there will be things of all sizes and like loads of shoes um, so if you're looking for shoes uh, lots of those so come around for that It'll after we're good. done recording I'm going to give you some of my clothes <gasps> yeah, yeah thank you Yeah, it's happening it's all happening mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and yeah just keep a lookout Global Hive Laboratories is the name of the organization we're on Facebook. Uh, we have a website, globalhivelabs.org, and you can keep up to date with the things that we're doing. And when we get closer to the Chicago version of the project, we will put a call out for artists in Chicago, and we will be specifically uh, looking for artists of all different mediums. So chefs, potters, poets, magicians, Cartographers, I don't know, whatever. Um, and then also specifically really interested in working with actors and artists who are who have disabilities. And we wanna we wanna make sure that we are not uh, talking about you without you. We want you with us in the room, uh, sharing your perspective and sharing your expertise. So, yeah, come around. Cool. Well, thank you all so much for listening. I'm Dan Johansson. I continue to be Maureen Smith. Uh, If you want to keep up with what we are up to, there are so many ways you can do that. The first is to head over to scopymag.com. That's our website. We post all of our articles and podcast episodes there. You can also keep up with us on the old social media on Facebook. We have a Facebook page called Scopy Magazine. Uh, Most recently, you can find... Actually, you know what I want to plug to? Um, Our YouTube channel. Our YouTube channel, I think, is Scopy Magazine. I I need to double check the actual If you just... Is that where you can watch cats? Yeah. Yeah. So this is what I was plugging. Check out Window Cats. Go on YouTube, search Window Cats. It is literally our cats and windows. It's We're incredible. going up to Milwaukee for the weekend, so I'm gonna get some kind of like alternates, alternate window shots, like some <laughs> different scenery. I'm very excited about it. Um, it's a really great project, and we posted about it in DIY Chicago for people to um, 
basically uh, to reach out to different art, local artists and local musicians. I have, I'm sitting on like 15 different tracks right now that we're going to be working on. Sorry, excuse me, working on creating different uh, window cat videos for. Oh so that's really exciting. It's super fun. Really cute. And it's just something you can play in the background. It's not something like the the videos aren't like particularly. I mean, they're ca- I find them captivating, but they're also my cats. So like it may be for you. It's something that you put in the background. Anyway, check that out. Uh, also, our Facebook group, Sounding Board, that we love and adore. It's really fun, interesting, dope spot. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr under Scopy Mag. And you can find the podcast, the one that you're listening to right now, under Scopy Radio in most podcast places, including iTunes podcasts google play and radio public and i'm here to talk about the importance of subscribing if you head to our website scopymag.com and go to our subscribe page there are a couple ways that you can do that the first is to sign up for email blasts this is huge because even though we post across social media platforms facebook eats our shit so if you want to see 100 of what we are doing and not just 30 percent of it i suggest you sign up for those email blasts the second thing you can do The second thing you can do is you can become a member. For as little as $5 a month, you can help us keep our lights on and pay our fucking artists. So if you're interested and in a position to do that, please consider doing so. We have some cool incentives that will make it even more fun to give us your money. Uh, Also, if you're interested in advertising with us, please feel free to reach out to us at scopymag at gmail.com. So give a little, give a lot, And if you can't give, then listen, participate, and share. Cool. Thanks again so much for listening. Go out and make something. Yep.